Thank you for listening to Recyclables. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the program, the best way to do that is to like, subscribe, and share. Uh, the next best way is to make a donation either through the Acast app or at our Patreon, which is just patreon forward slash recyclables.com. Until next time, thank you. Good morning, Recyclables. Uh, it's your host, editor, researcher, guy who won't shut up, PTP, Professor Pat, man with cursed knowledge. And I'm here today to share the knowledge with you, and we have special guests, Everything and Nothing. Everything and Nothing is going to have a uh, live event January 9th at Kelly's Olympian. Uh, tickets at the door, you can also order them online at Eventbrite. Uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way because this is a serious episode. This this goes uh, some places. This episode is going to be about the life and circumstances of Harriet Tubman. This first episode, this first part, is going to discuss the conditions of slavery and kind of kind of info dump you on everything surrounding the story of Harriet Tubman so that I don't have to stop every 20 minutes and be like, well, this is a terrible thing you need to know about. Instead, I'm going to try to tell you all the terrible stuff up front, and then we can enjoy the story of Harriet Tubman, history's greatest hero in ptp's opinion tm copyright there may be a, a better i don't know my point is uh, in this episode we discuss life and times of harriet tubman with everything and nothing um i i think you can tell how heavy the subject matter is because as the episode goes along everyone else who's drinking needs another drink it's it's that kind of episode so trigger warning right up top uh, I also wanted to uh, recommend a really good book that helped me out quite a bit. So I read a, uh, three or four Harriet Tubman biographies in particular. I gotta say my favorite was Bound for the Promised Land by Kate Clifford Larson. It has a very recyclables feel, which is to say it will tell you a story and then kind of go off to the side for a second, tell you another story, and that story loops back into the main story. I found it very engaging. And I also thought it did a great job of explaining the conditions and circumstances of her life. So, so I think if, if you want something that is going to give you exactly what I was going for, I definitely recommend, again, uh, it'll be in the show notes, Bound for the Promised Land by Kate Clifford Larson. Uh, this episode also comes with a trigger warning. We're, we're going to discuss some, some heavy stuff. Like I said, it, it drives everyone else to drink. So, kids... Listen with a parent. Uh, parents, prepare to get uncomfortable. The, these things have consequences here and now. I, th I think the the one that's the most um, obvious to me is uh, the United States has a reoccurring myth of the laziness of black people. Uh, and that goes, that goes all the way back to slavery. When as acts of resistance, people will be like, I'm not doing this thing that you're forcing me to do. And so laziness would be ascribed to it instead of independence, instead of um, courage, instead of, I don't know, just not wanting to live under the yoke of another person. And it gets, it gets scrambled into laziness, and then we play a game of telephone over the generations. We're like, no, that's, that's the way it is. It's just who they are. Because we don't, we don't critically sit with these questions. Um, and that's that's why we do this show is to critically engage with some of the things that might make us uncomfortable 
so that they're not garbage anymore. It's called recyclables for a reason. I, I, I had to recycle some of my own thinking over the course of this. <laughs> not, not that I thought black people were lazy. More I had to reorganize my own thinking as a white person in relationship to a lot of these stereotypes that I've learned. Not just about black people, but about white people. Um, like one of the big stereotypes is white people have no culture. And that comes about because we pretend to be neutral. We pretend like we are uh, inactive participants, as if we are just observers of events in history. But nah, motherfucker, we're a part of them. This right now, me making this podcast is me engaging in the process of history. You listening to this podcast is you engaging the process of history. Whether you choose to engage in it or not, it's going on. And your level of privilege is what decides whether or not you feel like you need to engage in it. Essentially, the more privilege you have, the less willing or the less necessary it is for you to engage with these issues because, well, you live in a privileged position. Alright, that was... That was just a preview uh, for how the rest of the episode is going to go. I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Future me. Theme music. Now. Uh, I wanted you guys here today to talk about one of my favorite heroes in American history, Harriet Tubman. But what happened as I was getting the story ready was I realized I, I would stop every few minutes while I was practicing to describe the conditions of slavery. And so what I've decided is to split them up into two halves so we get the really cool, fun, sad part about all the context of slavery. But then we get the nice kind of suite at the end of like, here's one of the most incredible, at least in my opinion, one of the most incredible people in history and, and the things she did in spite of all this. I will still totally stop and tangentialize when we're talking about Harriet, but I wanted to get through uh, some of the, the, the horrors of slavery. I have history of U.S. slavery as the top of the notes. Just U.S. Sli slavery. Yes. Yeah. Because, We're not going to go into the uh, transcontinental yeah. slave trade. Well, no, because at some point I do actually want to do an episode doing the full history. And I've even, uh, we recently did an episode with uh, Courtney Collins, a.k.a. Same. DJ Wildchild, talking about the influences of white supremacy on the history of archaeology. And to do that, we had to discuss some of the conditions of the, the, the roots of slavery in America. What, one of the things that I, I discovered through that is that in, in European countries, there is a slavery system of Christians enslaving Muslims, Muslims enslaving Christians. However, once you kind of get Muslims off the continent, then you're like, well, who do we enslave now? Uh-oh. <laughs> and so you have, like, like, I didn't realize it was, it was, it was the system we get in America is because of a system that they create because of shit they do in Europe in addition to the African slavery yeah, that Pat, comes on. Nothing we do is original. Yeah, no, no, I understand that. I just didn't understand, <laughs> for, for me at least, I didn't realize how, how deep these roots for American slavery were, like how, how much of a straight line there really is from Roman era slavery to the United States. Oh, wow. But we're not going to do all that because that is a long episode and I would actually like to do it with a black person, right? Like, Fair I, I would rather have a black person but who why is an Pat? expert. I don't. I don't. <laughs> what is this? I would rather have an expert on it come on to be an to discuss it. I do think it's important to have three of my white friends come on to discuss the history of U.S. slavery as citizens of the United States because okay. it's we benefit from it in a, in a lot of real ways. This is loosely based on a conversation I had with my kid when they turned 16 because they were like, Juneteenth, whatever. And I was like, all right, honey, well, now dad has to be obnoxious. Sorry. <laughs> and she's hated me ever since. 
I didn't know what Juneteenth was until 2020. I'm really sorry. No, that's I have a history degree, and like that fact didn't sit in here. I didn't even know what. I didn't know the full context of it. She, my kid, was just fine with. Like they had, they they were like, "Hey, look at this joke, isn't it funny?" I'm like, "No." And then later on, they brought back, and I was like, "All right, well, you need to have a conversation about. I need you to know what I know. Have an info dump." And now, like, for the rest of our lives, I'm going to continue this conversation because I'd already thought I did it, but now we're going to sit down and do it. And so that's what good parenting is, Pat. I'm I'm a great dad, other than the like hundreds of millions of times I was never there. (laughs) But like, and 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 I I had a black friend tell me, like, why they were having spoiler Pat has a black friend. Oh, they my were God. Having, he's got one. <laughs> but he, he he had a conversation with me about, like, we, we had seen the police talk to a black business owner who had called them, and he was like, no, you still need to stick around. I was like, yeah, but it's a business owner. And so we ended up having this conversation. And then, like, when my kid had their own, like, w- response to a joke, I was like, all right. Like, I was in Hot Topic with my niece when she was pretty young, and she saw a gay pride pin, and she laughed at that. And I was like, why is that funny? And I was like, there's nothing funny with being gay. I mean, gay people are funny, but straight people are trying, you know? <laughs> but, like, I felt kind of shitty because it made me mad at the time because she was just a kid. But I was just like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Yeah. but so like this is pretty dope. I also think it's important to demonstrate white people having frank, honest conversations about slavery uh, amongst each other. And there's, as far as white people I know uh, and trust go, you guys are pretty top-notch white people. Oh. We're, like, people, we're like, some of the good ones. Yeah, yeah. Pat's out here telling you that he's fucking up real hard with his red and surf. <laughs> no, but I do, I, I do want to highlight that I think it's important that white people have real conversations about the impact of slavery on ourselves, and not. And I know the holidays are a time when it's prescient with people. So I do think it's important that, like, yeah, maybe you can't have it with your uncle, but you totally can have the conversation. With, your, with a child yeah. that you're the driver. Yeah. And so they don't get to leave the hot topic without you. Yeah. Some, <laughs> they well, don't even get to go to the hot topic without you. Mm-hmm. I like the shoelaces. I'm functionally an uncle in my kid's life for a lot of it. And if I can set aside an hour and a half on a weekend to be Let like... Let me regale you. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I feel like other, story. other people can do that. And I've I've had to have similar conversations oh. with my, my adopted mom where, like, we watched the movie Till... And she was like, oh, shit, I didn't realize A, B, C, and D about this. And I was like, oh, I just took this information for granted. That's right. You're like 40, 50 years older than me. Of course you didn't have. I think it's super important because one of the big things you can actually like legitimately go and look at is the infrastructure of building. So before African slaves arrive on the continent, there is indentured servitude and forms of enslavement that go on between Europeans and other Europeans. There is a specific village, I think it's in, I didn't write it fucking down because I don't, I'm, I'm a hack and a fraud, but a lot of the instances, though, Pat's trying to rewrite history. When you are an indentured servant, you essentially have a contract, and at the end of that contract, you get a payout of sorts. Yeah. You get you get promised land, you get a job maybe still, you get a house, you get that sort of thing. And you're the, not necessarily viewed as property. Correct. 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 And, and and another important thing is your kids aren't born into that. So if if Right. You're it, once you're done, you're done. And and you can get like kinda you can get freed from the contract at any time. A popular like presumption about what kind of hussy <laughs> servants like women are 
is that like a, a girl could become I remember reading in a nail game in book that it's like a plot point of a person tricking the person that she's indentured to into marrying her mm-hmm. and then it's like well now I'm the lady of the land like that's cool right like so that's oh and by the way I just wanted to bring up this labor structure sounds awfully similar to how they created the whole uh, stadium and city situation at Qatar for the World Cup Felt like that was a modern day yep. equivalency yeah. that we could bring up in this situation. And a totally future equivalency is not like if you're a billionaire planning a trip to Mars and are like, hey, if you can't afford our services, you can pay us back when you get there. You just have to like put in some labor. You just gotta be a part of our work culture. Like that's that's totally not a thing that that is is going on. That's a that's a thing. That was cool. The other advantage of indentured servants is that there's rules. You can't be like sexually. There's actually like a union. Ish, yeah. Ish. Like like if you're sexually assaulted, that that's abnormal. You there's can, definitely an HR. Yeah, you can you can if if <laughs> you're if, if the person you're indentured to hits you, like you're allowed to be like, hey. <laughs> If the person you're indentured to hits you, you're allowed to be like, hey, that's bad. That's no, that's, no, please stop. That's no bueno. I don't know if they spoke that. Um, <laughs> Probably not. And then the other thing is, that's if you want to just run away, there's white people everywhere. So you can just blend it. I mean, not literally everywhere, but you can just run into the, like, from Boston to New York and be like, yeah, I totally serve my contract i'm a farmer now in yeah. new york that's what i do now that's... i definitely didn't murder anyone yeah. the most com- i like that murder idea well speaking of murders uh a common enslavement before african enslavement was to try to enslave in native people like yep. you're, you're taking the land might as yeah. well take the people the problem with that is it's kind of the inverse of similar to the white people problem of like they can just run away. They can just, it's literally all of their land. So they can just go a hundred yeah. yards away and you're like, ah, shit, I don't know what to do. Yeah, like, I know this yeah. whole area. Uh, it's also, there's a huge language barrier when you do that. So you have to like, hey, we have different <laughs> concepts of like the afterlife. <laughs> so like my threats to you may not mean a thing. Also, there's a strong, uh, th- th- there's a number of instances in which native people who feel like, they have no option in our slave. We'll just take their own lives. Yeah. So, like, if you're an enslaver, that's a problem you, 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 you have to deal with in your cost-to-risk-benefit ratio. And also, like, a lot of the, the things you're trying to do as a European colonizer aren't what the, the Native Americans are doing. Because Native American farming styles are much more forager and or they're not, like, you the, the, the kind of harvest a field, lay it fallow, do all that kind of shit. You have to explain all that to a person that you enslave. If you just bring over an Irish person, they kind of were already doing that, and they just want potatoes at the end of the day and whiskey or whatever. Whatever. That's I know it's fine. I think I'm Irish. Uh, I I say very disparaging things about French people yeah. at work. I should be nicer uh, to the Irish, <laughs> and I make it very clear. I'm like ethnically, I'm very French. I just uh, make fun of American white people. That's There are so many bad white people everywhere, though. Like, don't think that we monopolize the shitty white people thing. Because the British created slavery. The French move it to the Caribbean and make it super murderous. The Spanish are like, oh, we can fuck you people at the same time, and that's cool. And the Americans are like, oh, hey, when you guys come here, we're going to create a religion around this. It's going to be great. We have a what did Canada do? 
Um, they, uh, they same as the British did. They, they pretended yeah. to let everyone be free, and then we're still super fucking racist. Nails aren't slaves at the start. I'm just saying, just all white people are bad, and especially if you're from like a colonial power, even if they're not as powerful now, you're probably still pretty bad. And French people that I've encountered, or at least this one lady, very rude. It's true, I am very the worst rude. Person yeah, I'm pretty bad too. Another like another one. I don't of the even early like co- fancy cheese. Some I, of them that didn't even have legalized yeah. slavery would come up with really cool ways to participate as a cool, in that really not cool way. The Dutch, for example, to, I, I, if I remember right, don't legalize slavery. They don't have that system in place. Instead, they have banking and all the money, so they invest in all of the slaving merchants and shit. And so, like, they do, like, a stock exchange of, like, human life and there's this super fun thing where you insure your human cargo i'm getting ahead of myself in the storyline a little bit and if it doesn't pay you enough when you get there with your human cargo sometimes you know we were in a storm and we lost all those people so you just gotta do the insurance payout sorry about all the two three six hundred people we killed can't have my money because yeah. my my insurance I, I filled out the forms. But that specifically highlights that with um, the transatlantic trade, specifically humans became very African African people specifically became a commodity. They were not a yeah. person. They were one hundred percent a commodity. They were traded which, for goods, which were then translated into other money good. Yeah, and yeah. Transplanted back for you know, yeah. Yeah. So like this was the this was like the first time that like slavery had taken on. The capitalist element. Yeah. And an important it's important to be conscientious of language sometimes. And the conversation about slavery versus enslavement is super important. Because it, it's uh, to quote from Pelifer.org an article about why we use enslaved. The noun slave implies that one was or is at their core a slave. The adjective enslaved reveals that through bondage, bondage was not their core existence. Furthermore, they are enslaved by the actions of another. Therefore, we use terms like enslaver rather than master to indicate one's effort to exert power over another. So it's a, it's victim blaming to a certain extent to be like, ah, oh, you're a slave as opposed to I enslaved you. I enslaved you. And it creates a false dichotomy to be like, I'm your master versus I've enslaved you. <laughs> like, these are important distinctions to make. And I also think I, I made that point earlier about you kind of create a religion around it. One of the things the United States does more than any place else is we create philosophy around enslavement. We create science. We create a pseudo. We reinterpret the Bible to be like, slaves, obey your master. See this passage. It's super important here. Ignore all the slave revolts and all the time the Jews were enslaved and all that, blah, blah, blah. Because we don't want you to look at that. Yeah. So you, you you make the master, and it's also making the person that's done the crime, like it's letting them decide the language. If I'm like, I was a people deleter instead of a murderer, you guys were like, I guess he's the deleter. Like he identifies as the deleter. Is, is, he's is, the transformer. Chris, yeah. I think we found your job title. The <laughs> people deleter. Hey, I'm just saying, if we can find a way to make this shit legal, or if you can pay me enough, to not get caught, let's talk. Oh my god, the amount of times I keep on hoping there's gonna be like a suicide squad to take out everyone who's ruining everything right now. But then again, who am I to decide who's ruining everything? I do think I have a good idea. 
I do the, uh, so slavery in the United States begins approximately in 1691. That's the first time a ship full of African slaves arrived in Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. There's pretty decent explanation about what I'm going to say. But essentially, immediately, the relationship between the enslaved black people and the enslaving white people and the indentured white people and the enslaving white people you can see a distinction of the relationship. So like a, a group of white people and a black dude run away. The black dude gets the shit beat out of him and the white people are like, ah, you got to do harder labor from here on out to yeah. immediately codify that like these two groups of people will be treated distinctly. One of the downsides and benefits of African enslavement, heavy air quotes on the downsides and benefits one of the big downsides you have if you are an enslaver is that a lot of the African enslaved people die on arrival because the climate of the East Atlantic coast for North America is different than the climate for the West Atlantic coast of Africa. And there's also a lot of diseases. They're also probably extremely traumatized. The the trip there is harrowing. Yeah. Like, and they're like, borders. they have to shit like where they are. So, so who knows how many of them showed up already, like, on death's door. You And you also have a, an intense language barrier, just as intense as you would have with Native Americans. But the benefits for you are a lot of African farming techniques are pretty synonymous with European farming techniques. So you don't have to have a huge, like... Like, you don't have to pantomime and figure out shit to explain what you're trying to do. You're just like, do that thing you were going to do anyhow, but with my tobacco. Right. Or, or And not anyhow. That's a weird thing to put it. The other thing is that you, you, if you enslave everyone from a Native American village, they already have complex social networks that they can escape to. If you have an indentured white person, like I said, they can leave to somewhere else. Enslaved African people don't have that option of going somewhere else. Because well, then, they have to rely on the um, native populations being willing to take them in, which was a, a, a thing that did happen that eventually. Did happen. But at the start, because of the nature of white people and lies that they would tell to native people, uh, native people were not particularly receptive because they would be told things like, oh, yeah, they're murderers and rapists and they eat babies and shit. And so... And they're like, well, if you think they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, that is a thing that we talked about in the Lewis and Clark episode. One of the things that they use, York is uh, the person enslaved. He's like six foot nine and like, like just fucking built. Jacked. Like, so they show him around to native people to be like, we own people like this. So if you fuck with us, like we got a hundred more of these back home that we'll send here to be, to fucking eat you. Okay. So. <laughs> You have the complex social networks that you can take advantage of. You can also take advantage of the fact that, like, if Charlie and I are from villages that were already at war and you've enslaved both of us, there's less of a likelihood that we're going to work together. So there's all of these. You can take advantage of that as the enslaver. It creates that environment. But what I started to say earlier about the infrastructure is you can see once enslavement arrives in 1691, there's a building population boom. Because once you remove people from that labor source right once you remove your indentured servants from building your houses and making your whatever your smithies or farming for you you just have a person who you aren't required to treat like a person to do it then that indentured person can go become a blacksmith 
can go become a silversmith, can go brew beer, can go become a harbor master, can go do X, Y, and Z. And you can see that... He can in, print Bibles. Yeah, shit like that happens. You get a thriving middle class in North America. At some point, did we start talking about internships in this episode? We will, actually. Here's okay. the thing. Post... <laughs> Here's the deal. Post slavery, post like uh, post emancipation proclamation, further down the line, right? That's a way you keep black people enslaved. Is you say they're my intern, they're my apprentice, they're whatever. So I don't have to pay them. That's how Lane County here in Oregon. Are we is... still talking about poops right now? No, I'm just mad, and it sounds like I'm pooping because okay. I'm so mad. So Lane County in Oregon is named after a guy named Joseph Lane, who had an enslaved person. Not and... Lois Lane. Nope. Uh, it gets sadder. He had an enslaved person until 1879. The Emancipation uh, Proclamation yeah. happened, if I remember right, in 1860-something, 69, uh, to condense the story of Juneteenth. That's part of what it is, is like the Emancipation Proclamation happens in Texas. is like, nah, we're still going to do slavery. Like, we don't care that the Civil War's over and you guys won. Like, we're Texas. And then the U.S. Army has to come in and be like, no, we said we said no slavery. And, and that's what the celebration of Juneteenth is, is the U.S. Army being like, no. If I remember correctly, it's more complicated. No, comma, like slavery. <laughs> Exclamation Lionel, point. Lionel Hutz rules. Lane County, though, named after Joseph Lane, who has an enslaved person until I think it's 1879. And he gets away with it because, A, it might be his son, but B, he's also like, it's an apprentice. He's just learning from me. And it's like, well, what are you apprenticing him in being a wartime general and enslaver? Like, what do you... Right. Anyway, that's what that's who Lane County is named after. The the, the whole Oregon coast name, name, named for that guy. Fun. Um, so, like I said, the, 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 you, can, you can look at, like, building and title and shit as from that era, right, when enslaved people show up. And you can see the expansion of buildings and cities... Because, like I said, after that point, labor gets uh, cut down. One of the things that's important to note is that usually it's about a 60% of white people own or, or have a, a black person enslaved to them. And then prominently up to 30% of the people that remain rent out enslaved people. Because you can also... Save. Dang, they got a fucking, like, car to go, but for slaves? Yes. God, I hate everything. Because here's what happens. I'm I'm an enslaver, and you three are my enslavees, but I only have... Pat is making some strong assumptions right now. Fair, but I mean, <laughs> whatever. I will be uh, for this example, because if there's an awful person, it might as well be me. That's why I was choosing to be the enslaver in this example. Uh, you three are my enslaved humans. I only have one enslaved person's worth of labor to do. The three of you could have a conversation. It's like landlord, but and even so, worse. Yeah, and it's so people lord, and people lord, plored. And so there's that. The other reason to rent them out is, uh, let's say, of the three of you, right. Chris is the most obstinate. I, I think that would be a likely thing. I don't know. Whoever's the most. Excuse I me. Who are you trying to say is more obstinate here? I'm, Charlie is very subservient. So, I mean, so this is, is between you and I. I'm it is under Serbia. <laughs> Look, either way, nothing is. Wrong. I know someone from Serbia. I decide that I nice need guy. you to learn a lesson, so I rent you out to a person who is the worst intentionally to rent you out to a person who is the worst so that you, air quotes, learn your lesson from them. These people are called slave breakers. 
We talked about it a little right. bit in Lewis and Clark yeah, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there are people who are notoriously nightmares that you rent your enslaved person out to to do terrible things to. You also... Yeah, grocery stores do this still, where they'll send you to another location for... I mean, to be like, oh, you think it's bad here? Do you want to see how bad it is in our other spot? I yeah. mean, a lot of these tactics are still used by labor. It's like how when people show up to my store, which is the one at the... They and complain to me about how sketchy the neighborhood is. And I'm like, I'm so sorry you have to be in my neighborhood. Can you not? This must be so hard for you to be in a place that I live. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do about the things I have no control over. Could you imagine going into a restaurant and be like, wow, this neighborhood sucks? <laughs> I mean, I've definitely done that to two restaurants, but they earned it. So this actually lets me, your car to go thing actually lets me get into oh, my sideways rant, which is here, here's why I mentioned this. So like I said, 60% of white people are enslaving an African person. 60% of the time it works at 100% of the time. 30% of the population are also participating in the system of renting. And slaves. I doubt they wait, made you wait till you were 26, like car rentals. Correct. <laughs> right. Normally yeah, what happens forms. is, oftentimes what happens is you have a business and you want somebody to do all the shit you don't want to do. Very much like apprentices and interns, where it's like, uh, the one benefit for an enslaved person is this might be the one time you can make money for yourself. Because once you get rented out, if you make any excess money, in theory, if you have a person who isn't absolutely the fucking worst, you might be able to keep some of that. It will come up when we tell Harriet Tubman's story. It's like when was the service. first time any of you heard, yeah, but some of the slave owners were pretty nice. Like, when do you remember hearing that as a defense of slavery growing um, up? Never. I think maybe in eighth grade, I kind of was in this, uh, you know, my town's a little bit conservative, but we did a long, you know, on the Civil War, and I think a girl in my I was like, well, my mom says like some of the slave owners were actually nice. That, that was how I encountered it. With someone, yeah. some other kid saying their parents said, it. "I never heard it in school." So like, I want to say I heard it kind of neutrally, potentially in like fifth grade. Maybe not like outright said, but like some slave owners were bad, some were not so bad. Like they said it like that. But then when I was in college, I was talking to one of my friend's dads, and he argued that it was a benevolent system for black people. Like we were doing them a favor. By doing that. And I'm just like, I still am just struggling to deal with that. I mean, but that like, was gonna be, that was that's gonna... such a normalized attitude among white people to try and excuse the fact that we are a part of it. I mean, that was going to be one of my closing points, but I'll make it. Sorry, Pat. No, 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 it's fine. Which is one of the big problems. I'm drunk enough that I'm jumping ahead. You're, you're fine. One of the big problems with this system is... You knew the script? But <laughs> one of the problems is the people involved in this believe that they are correct. Not, not a moral judgment of good or bad, not a, a, a social judgment of right or wrong. They think the system is correct. Like, like it's, it it's, makes sense. It, it benefits me. Why would I question it? And, and it has a historical narrative as yeah. far as they, they're concerned from to when slavery, enslavement first becomes like the prominent system in America, like the like economical system. Once that happens, there's a history and a culture of it. And once you believe that that is the correct course of action, it's just as hard as convincing your uncle that, like, we need to defund the police, right? And that's actually what the 60% of, of ownership is important for, right? Because another 30% of rental, I don't know if it's 30% of the people left over or 30% of people in, in general. The, in the Still, that's a huge percentage of the population that has an incentive 
or a reason to not want to fight slavery, right? right. To not want to end it. Because they st- they also want slaves. Yeah. And this is... They're this, benefiting from them. And this lets me go into a rant that I get into a lot on Facebook that I wanted to get into an episode. This is why I'm not on Facebook anymore, folks. This is specifically it. Oftentimes when I tell people my problem with car ownership, they're like, oh, you don't understand the data on pollution and like the army's a bigger polluter. And I get all of that. But the reason oil executives get to do all the shit that they do is because people are like, I deserve to own a car. And my only incentive to continue, like, you will do a lot as a person, and I say this as a person who has ownership of a car now, I know <gasps> there's a lot of- Pat's part of the problem now! Oh, it feels so good! But here's, <laughs> Sorry. Here's the problem. Yeah. I, I know individual car ownership or us owning a specific car isn't part of the problem, but if the greater problem is, is in fact oil executives, our comfort with the fact that we deserve to own a piece of property that lets them continue to do the things that they do to the planet- is part of that system. Well, and they can lobby for things. We're stuck in a system that they control that yeah. forces us to own a car because most of the time that's the most efficient way to get around. So you can't get to When work. I complain about people... <laughs> so when I complain about car ownership it's on JFK. social media, specifically what I'm saying is our comfort with that system is the same as the 30% of people. To History is going to look at us that way, whether we look at us that way or not. Like, that's just how I, I see it. I don't think us all stopping using our cars individually is going to solve the problem. I wanted to get that on audio finally so I don't have my... I have people that will be like, oh, you just don't understand that, like, the military is a bigger polluter. And I'm like, yes, I get it. But you being like, I need to defend my ownership of a car is you being like, not all men, but with fucking cars. The U.S. Yeah. military is yeah. also the largest jobs provider in the fucking world because, I mean, it's the system. It's the fucking system. Slavery is the biggest it's, job provider in America. It's the man, is what you're saying. Yeah. The, the military is the man. I mean, yes. Man. I, is that a surprise to you? The entire economic system of the United States, by the time the United States becomes a thing, is heavily resolved around slavery. Some cool little fun notes. Jefferson did try to write into the Declaration of Independence the thing about slavery being Britain's original sin, like, given to America. The problem oh, is that, wow, that's really rich for him to say yeah, that. That's coming, though, from Thomas Jefferson, a man who brought a 14-year-old to France specifically to consult him while his wife was dead that he later married after he impregnated her and spent several months having her enslaved to him. And, and, and just fuck. Look, all I'm saying, kids, is if while you're learning history, you feel the need to get more drunk, it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> it's funny for Je- Jefferson to say that because that's like a kid looking at their parent when they find their weed stash and be like, I learned it from you, Dad. Oh it's like, God. yeah, but you've been smoking a lot, so. Okay, so Jefferson brings us to America being formed, the United States, right? The main thing that's this driving. piece of shit land. The colonies wealth is enslavement. You have enslaved people farming the cash crops. You have enslaved people building many of the buildings in the north. Or in the north, even the places that abolish slavery, the reason they do it is to create systems of white labor that exclude slavery. Like, it's 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 right. this or that. And in addition to that, everybody... It is a... The, the one good thing for enslavement at the time is oftentimes if you can get out of an enslaved colony 
and into a colony that has abolished enslavement for whatever reason. You can theoretically be safe because you're out of bounds for, like if you're a Rhode Island slave and you make your way to Maine, I don't know if those are anachronisms. You're close enough. Sure. But the thing is, when the United States gets created, as they're they're creating it, there is a huge argument over whether or not to include enslavement. The big reason not to include it is because enslavement destroys white people's jobs. Because if you can make... They took our jobs without anyone asking them if they wanted them. A little bit. We forced them our jobs. (laughs) In, In the episode about uh, how the, the South essentially won the Civil War. I, I said that the material conditions of being impoverished in the South are similar to the material conditions of being enslaved. Your, your building sucks. Your food sucks. One group of people is forced to be there and beaten and, and much worse, and one group of people can move to New York, right? Like, there's... Yeah. There, it, it, it's, you, you, your roofs are the same, but you're not living... The, the same lives, but that's still a terror. They don't see that in the North as what's going on. They see it, they, they, they don't see it as like, oh, that's because of the horrors of our, our capitalism and our industrial X, Y, and Z. They see it as if enslavement exists, it steals jobs from those poor whites. Those, those which are probably those maybe less. Poor whites. Yeah, yeah. It's so. It, it, to me, it sounds like, um, the reverse argument of like when people talk about small businesses to protect capitalism. Yeah, and that's kind of that. That's why when when the North gets rid of enslavement in its colonies, it's not because they're like we have the moral high ground and we've recognized that these are fellow human beings with souls and lives, and there's consequences to the actions that we visited upon them. They're like, man, like the middle class doesn't exist as strong if we if we have enslavement. The other reason that's important to bring up Jefferson is it lets me bring up Washington. A lot of people, I think, would consider George Washington a hero Gross. because of, like, Valley Forge or whatever. Here's the thing that's important to notice, uh, know about Washington. He got the job of general by showing up in a general suit from the French-Indian Wars. Oh my god, it's like the fancy hat guy, Stuart Holbrook? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah. he just dressed for the job yeah. he wanted? And so he gets it. Another thing is, it's it's like famously noted, he doesn't take payment for the position. But he does, ex- he does charge them for his expenses. Which means, like... He's living rent-free. Yeah, so whatever he wants, he gets. Anyway, part of the reason he gets the job of president, he's the richest well, guy in the country. Part of the reason he's the richest guy in the country is because of how many pe- enslaved people he has. And part of how he does that is he's willing to do shit like there's a point where he's president where like one state says if a person is enslaved for X amount of time in their state, they're freed. So he would have his enslaved people rotate between like his office Gross. in New York and his Pennsylvania property. And it would so that like they couldn't ever so they wouldn't get free. The famous thing about him freeing all of his slaves when he dies is also also an anachronism. He gives them to his wife and promises a thing called manumission, which is at a certain point you can retire from being a slave. Here's the fucked up part about that. You're not allowed to manumit a slave who's over 45, uh, over a certain age, because A, if you manumit someone too young, you got to remember the thing I was saying earlier about how they think this is correct. If you manumit someone too young, 
they're not going to be able, their, their labor isn't going to be used, right? Which means they might grow up and become a trouble or a criminal in your community. And if you manumit them between their teen years and their early 20s, again, that's when you need them the most. That's when a person is most physically useful according to the system. So the best time is maybe after they've spent 25-ish years enslaved under you. But if you manumit them too old, they're not going to be able to take care of themselves, and you're going to be embarrassed because you 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 freed your slaves just to kill them, right? Like that's 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 embarrassing. So usually you manumit them about forty. The whole system is not embarrassing. Just that part. <laughs> just that just part. That, that part's part. embarrassing. That's the only not part. the owning another person. Not the like yeah. beating them, violating them, all of that. It's the Letting them, like, when you let them go, they die. That's pretty embarrassing. So usually you're right into your will. Like, it it comes up a lot in Harriet Tubman's story. Hey, at age 45, they get free, live or die. But here's the thing. That's a conversation the enslavers are having amongst each other and not with the enslaved. So you can get up to being 55, or you can lie. You can be like, oh, you're 40. I'll let you know when you're 45. Speaking of lacking HR... Yeah, <laughs> you know. I don't know what yeah, can I see my file, please? So Jeez. Washington. Let me see my contract. When did you learn to read? <laughs> that is. An I issue. don't know. Read this. Punch, punch. Uh, that, but that is that is what happens with Washington. Is he's like okay, so she has to set you guys free at a certain point, but like she still needs all hundred, however fucking many he is too many. Um, because one is too many. And and before we get too far, I do want to highlight. Uh, oh, I, I don't. The the other reason I didn't want to have a black guest today was I knew we might touch on some of the worst aspects of slavery, and I didn't want to inflict generational trauma on someone who it doesn't need to be their baggage. You that's, are performing some emotional fucking whiplash on the people that are listening to this podcast. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. That's fine. Listen, it's okay if we feel bad. <laughs> but you I know? want to highlight that uh, black people, enslaved African people, aren't taking this passively right running away is occurring right the greatest fear enslavers have throughout all of history is a slave uprising they happen all the time louisiana has a really famous one where they like i think it's louisiana one one of them has one where like it marches through cities and gathers people and they have to call the fucking army because they're like oh shit they have guns we didn't oh fuck and like they free there are of course people who are so traumatized and 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 scared that they don't even want to risk when there's but that's because some shit happened that made them physically unable to get into this shit and and there's some people who are like look you're just gonna get killed at least i'm alive i might be enslaved but at least i'm alive yeah and you know joining a rebellion you're your options are now dead or hope I get away. So, and if you have kids, if I've I've enslaved yeah. you and your kids, yeah. I've got your your wife in a. Your wife is also maybe two plantations over, right? And that's another thing that we'll get into in the, in the Harriet Tubman half is that like there's all these complex intersocial relationships that go on. I took a, a class in college that was about reforms and revolutions in Latin America, and the TA was always just like, I just don't get why they didn't revolt sooner. I don't get why they didn't revolt sooner. I didn't get why they revolt sooner. I was like, have you ever been worried that someone in your family might get killed because of a choice you made? Like, have you ever been worried about putting food on the table? Those kind of things will make you not want to take revolutionary action. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot and because, like, like, I think it happens to a lot of us, too. And that's why 2020 was so fascinating because so much of us actually had the fucking free time to actually do some work that we weren't able to do normally. And, and it scared the fuck out of them. So, like, oh, we need you all to go back to work now. Yeah. 
And there's also and the Trump a, books. Yeah, we had economic freedom too. That was so nice. <laughs> God, well, I that, really wish I'd have I'd have gotten fired at some point during all that. I I am so privileged that I got laid off. Yeah. <laughs> this is here, here, the, sorry. I didn't mean no, to no, sidetrack, no, no, but I felt like it was relevant. No, no, you didn't sidetrack too hard because the thing I was to say is there's also minor acts of resistance, right? That you like, like if you're bad at making a bed that you have to make every day, that's kind of your way of being like, "Fuck you! I don't want to make the bed." Of course, I'm not going to crease it the way you want. That's Fuck when you. weaponized incompetence is laudable, and that's when that comes about. You that's know? also again that thing I was saying earlier about like you can see echoes of this in today's today's like boss culture right? yeah where it's quiet like quiet quitting if you yeah if you, oh, there, there's <laughs> a i start a job as a quiet quitter Hell am i not yeah, supposed to do that you know how many enslavers are like my slaves are lazy because they don't want to do this thing i force them to do or else i just don't get it if you've got time to lean i you've just got time don't to clean. get it. it starts when you have people you can beat if they lean like and now yeah. and now you make it a social construct. The the historical parts I wanted to touch on. So America gets formed to give more backlash time was whiplash. As America's getting formed, the culture and tradition of how we treat slavery as a country also kicks in. Namely what happens, there's a huge delegation of people from the southern colonies who are like, Look, if we don't have enslavement, we're not gonna join in there, um, America. And there's a lot of people in the North being like, look, this experiment only works if everybody agrees to work together as a body of essentially nations, but not nations, but that's a whole other episode. But if we don't all work together, Britain can come back and divide us again. They can do the same thing, and then you're not safe and we're not safe. So they're like, we we need you. And the South is like, well, we need slavery. As a result, they're like, okay, cool. What we'll do is revisit the issue in 1812. It begins a tradition that will be, you, you may recognize it in, in American politics today, a game called Kick the Can, where they're like, hey, we can't solve this problem in 17th whatever. I don't remember. Oh, it sounds like any climate change summit. No. So, yeah, right? I was just listening we'll to the figure it out later. top 10, and they're like, and, yeah, all this is like, none of that. Happened. And it kind of highlights the, I will say, beauty. It's definitely a The unique, horror? A really unique part of the United States electoral system, which is 1812 is how many election cycles after 17, whatever, right? Which means you can elect new people into office who will say, hey, we need to reflect and investigate and see what's going on. And in a few years, take action after we've done deliberate work. Or if you're conservative, hey, we don't want to change anything. It's always been like this. This is our cultural heritage. That is the conversation that happens with slavery. Well, uh, you know, Democrats were for slavery. Yeah. Chris. Another, exactly. Another time. Republicans were a lot of... Republicans, um, abolitionists were, Republicans were abolitionists. So if you think about that now, take that, libs! Yeah, essentially they just swapped their ideologies around 19th. Sure. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> yeah. A, there's a thing called the Southern Conference. I just know the name of it. But in- Oh, oh, so what you're saying... Wait! So that solid that. burn I had is actually completely wrong? Anyway. Oh! <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. And so and, and when they start doing that, basically sometime between 17, whatever it was, in 1812, uh, they start, scientists start writing, air quotes on the scientist part, philosophers, people start writing papers expressing. Natural philosophers. Yeah, expressing the science of race science. 
the thing that like it always trips me up because I always is this like, where phrenology popped up? Yeah, because yeah. as that goes along, you need to create paperwork and eugenics and, and all that shit. Eugenics yeah. comes later, but it is. But under- it's starting there too. Like at that point, it was starting, but there wasn't like you didn't have to have an excuse for white people to be better. They just were because they owned each other. But then yeah. after we didn't own people, we had to find reasons why we still were better, right? <laughs> The other, the part of it that always fucks with me because it doesn't make sense to me is that these racists really do think of it as Star Trek racism, where like you're a Vulcan and you're a Klingon and you have you can't be anything but these and you can't be anything but oh, that. it's like a Brave New World. I guess, yeah. Ooh, yeah I haven't yeah. read that one yet. I know it's through, through. It's fine. I've cliff notes it. It's it, uh, you. It you probably fine. know most of it. It's not gonna blow your mind. But if you'd read it in high school, you'd be like. Whoa! I did, and I, I am. <laughs> kind of like 1984, you're like, whoa! Yeah, I read them back to back. Animal Farm was really good, though. Animal Farm was so good. I, I had an illustrated version of it. I read Animal right? Farm because in X-Men, in the cartoon, Beast is reading it, and the guy makes fun of him, and I'm like, well, if Beast is reading it, it must be a smart book. And then I was it like, is Beast, smart is, book. Beast is woke. The beauty of the American system, like I said, is A, you get to play kick the can. B, you get new people to play kick the can every yeah. few years part of that that science thing part of that is once you create paperwork to justify your stuff you create a system that justifies itself we talked about this more so on the episode already with uh, dj wildchild but basically if i have paperwork saying racism good you can point to my paper in your paper saying racism good and now there's two papers that say racism is good and no papers saying racism is bad so racism good yeah, this is a very, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia argument. Well, that's but. how America works, which is very on the nose. The other, but the important, the, the thing I do want to highlight before I lose track is the thing Wild Child pointed out to me that I, I do tend to gloss over and forget a lot, is that people really do think of this as specious, as African black people are a different species than Irish people than french people maybe not so much that the way catholics. Right? but I, uh, <laughs> approximately the, the the catholic and protestant conflicts definitely have similar vibes where you're like how do you even know what the fuck are you talking like it's all science fiction to me but it's very real to these people so these, yeah. you get to, to me the fact that like they do this thing of just, just you're a different species you're different from Black African people are different from white people the way a cougar is different than a lion. Is is there not what I thought we were doing there? Go on. No, no, you're fine. I I'm just, a cougar. Yeah, I tend no, to date younger. No, you need to. They're more malleable. I, you need to have a kid <sighs> yeah. to be a cougar. I feel like no, no, no. no. That's a milk. That's different. Okay, yeah. I'll do I both. mean. I definitely have not done the age gap that I've done above me, but I've, I've experienced some age gaps. Oh, I've, I've, I've gapped the ages. All right. I it, feel like you always go up, though. Yeah. I mean, I try to go down, but I'm like, I don't... I Might feel, be a little dust on the bottle. If you're, if you're younger than me and you call me daddy, I have a kid just in... Like, like you're just old. Like, I... I no one's called me mommy, and I'm so glad. Yeah. So I eight, am beyond grateful for that. 1812, thanks to all of this... <laughs> 1812 thanks to all of the the kind of presupposition and 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 confirmation bias that they create let's uh the united states government decide okay you know what we need to do about slavery no new importation of enslaved people this doesn't legally 
There are plenty of illegal people who bring it about. One story I've heard. Wait, was this the new? Was this the first illegals? Ish. Because here's, here's <laughs> and they didn't even want to be here. Yeah. Jesus fucking and, Christ! Oh yeah, no, we've been pieces of shit for a long time. They're not shit. Oh god. One of the ways you get around it is you have a ship full of enslaved people, and it just <laughs> happens to wash up ashore. And I just happen to find it, and now I get a bounty for all these enslaved people that the county will sell to raise profits for itself and the corrupt people running it. That's cool. Here, let, let's say let let's let's take a little detour. Let's say America has been established. We have not outside. taken any detours yet, so well, this is the first one. Let's say you want to be one of the good whites. Let's say you're 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 in Carolina and you want to abolish the slavery in your state. Right, you probably sure. would become a senator or or a representative of office. You, but you would do something to change the system. Or write really strongly worded letters to the editor. Well, the problem is a Trust lot of pick a, you. <laughs> a lot of slave states require you to have enslaved people in order to run for office. Of course, and so if you then put that stuff on the ballot, you seem like a hypocrite. Yes. And all, but also you now have a financial incentive because having a person do shit for you makes your life fucking easier, right? I know, I know that's a big, big brain thought, but it's real hard not to be like, all right, cool. I guess, I guess as long as you're doing stuff for me, let's say you want to be a good white who wants to like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll buy you all and free you. Well, I still have to pay taxes on the land. I still have to make sure you're fed. I still have to make sure I make money so that, like, you're not the... As long as you're all living here, why don't you guys do some work? And I'll just I'll just charge you a little bit less rent. I'll just do that. Or, or you know what? You know what I'll do is I'll send you guys back to maybe Africa or as Abraham Lincoln wanted to do, Panama. I'll send you back to a place where you're not actually from. You have no social, familial, or historical connections. And you can start a new America there. You can do some America stuff. You can own slaves in that place for yourself. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that great? Isn't that, isn't that... There's no way out of the system. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. There's no ethical enslavement under enslavement. Just wanted to... And building on that, just to jump ahead, yeah. post-Civil War, there were Confederates that left and went to Brazil, forming colonies where they still had enslaved Boy, people. Bringing, America's a magnet for that shit, isn't they? Bringing their own slaves on yeah. ships, or their enslaved people on ships, and then that's on intermingling. I'm going to make my own America with yeah. blackjack and hookers. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And Haiti has been on the the podcast before, and like they're the first enslaved people. Maybe I think the, the whole only... country has been on the podcast. Like we interviewed <laughs> yeah, all the whole it country. Was a little bit awkward. It was an orgy on this podcast without me. We that didn't have a horgy. Yeah. It was <laughs> Charlie. You were correct about Brazil, though, because they get super. They... Their slavery was hella fucked. It yeah. was just like throw them into well, the fire, that, practically. Yeah, and in South America in particular, a lot of the revolutions that happen happen everywhere but Brazil, and on the basis of emancipation of enslaved people, which Brazil loves because if you are an enslaved nation, you like knowing people can leave who don't want to be enslaved. Because what's the other option? And I'll give you a hint: it's murder. Yeah. Like those are those are your two options for freedom a lot of times. And so like in Haiti pre- Yeah, I would have gone for murder like frequently. I would not have made it very far in a system where I'm actually a slave. What you're saying is that like highly fascist and controlling states rely on there being more lax states around them? Yeah. 
Oh. Oh, so what you're saying is that Wait. we actually end up propping those regimes up because we don't hold them accountable? Are you saying that it, that it, there's an incentive for places with lots of money and power to destabilize other countries? And That's a novel some, idea. Some I had kind no, of profit motive. Hear me out. What I if you had a, an extrajudicial like branch of your government that could, you could just send in to fuck shit up? That'd be crazy. Did you get it? Here's what I do know. Things are wild. Hey, in I don't know if you've heard this yet, but America, fuck yeah. yeah. Sushi. Unrelated note: America, um, Haiti. <laughs> Haiti, for example, has Books. a a higher percentage of enslaved people to enslavers. It's like ninety to ten, right? America's in enslaved areas. It's roughly fifty fifty. But in Haiti, they also have communities of unenslaved people who have liberated themselves, free free people who live on, like, the crappiest portions of the island because you're like, I would rather you run away to there than stage an uprising. Surprise, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, Haiti is the first uh, slave, yeah, like, and, the first free state. Yeah, and, and America is, like, super hateful about that because <laughs> we don't want that news to spread to our coast. And it ends oh, yeah, up, no, no one wanted that news to spread, so we all shut out yeah. Haiti financially and, and forever. They defeat the, like, shitty whites that are there, then they defeat the British and then the Spanish and then Napoleon and the United States. And, like, really a lot of their economic troubles now are because they're like, we fought fucking everybody on the planet. We are dead-ass broke from, like, not dying, like, being, it's, it's same Hear way. me out. Have we caught up all on slavery? No. Uh, so, <laughs> so 1812 is when in they decide, true white person fashion well, we are so done with this. Okay, no, well, <laughs> no, I just want to know where we're at because I'm almost ready to probably start doing some ribs. Okay, so Haiti is an important reference because after Napoleon loses in Haiti, he decides to do the Louisiana Purchase. We purchased I'm Louisiana. So yeah, his big plan was initially to conquer <laughs> Haiti and then pivot that. into the Americas and do Amer do do what he did in Europe in America. <laughs> But then he lost at Haiti, so he was like, "Fuck it, I'll sell Louisiana." The Louisiana Purchase Louisiana. leads to Fast. the Missouri Compromise. Popeyes, right? Basically, what happens? Well, no, we did. We just did an episode about Lewis and Clark. Exactly. But so the the Louisiana Purchase happens, and we start figuring out the issue is before the Louisiana Purchase, most of the uh, slave and free states are at parity, so there's like a roughly equal number. As we start admitting new states in the union, that starts changing the balance of how many this people... This was the original gerrymandering, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah so what happens much. is, they agreed to admit California as a free state, which will make it so that there are, like, two more free states or something. We'll let ne Nebraska and Missouri and a couple of others decide their own fate when they become states, but most importantly, if from now on, after this point, which is about 1820, with the Missouri Compromise, yes, they, they say, hey, we can send slave catchers into free states. Because some of the roots of early policehood and early marshalhood are chasing down yeah. most, black people who had most, most of, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Most. I, I like, I, no, I, it's just there's a lot of people, uh, when you bring that up, try to say, like, up uh, for northern states. Oh, that's not... No, we were northern uh, states. Da, da, da. And it's like, no. We discussed Slave catching went all the way up. Yeah. I promise you that. Yeah. And what? that was a huge part of law enforcement. I'm what, sorry, No, Pat. no, no, you're fine. Because what happens is, so you, before this, you run away to the north. You have some protections in that your community isn't legally obligated to help you. 
but they're also not legally obligated not to help you. You know what I mean? So they, they're not... To send you back or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. What happens with the Fugitive Slave Act is if you know I'm free or I've run away and freed myself, you're now committing a crime if you don't report me. Because you're an accomplice. Oh. The history of policing, a lot of it comes from people volunteering to walk the streets and make sure there aren't enslaved people escaping and or planning insurrections. There are constabularies, which are a whole... We'll do more of an episode on It's a Doctor history. Who thing. Yeah. It's complicated. Well, well, is be- it history that makes me drink or is it Rochelle? No. <laughs> Why not both? Yeah! Why can't do? So, the a lot of a lot of there are instances of people uniting in a city to keep a person do, liberated. Do any of them then get tarred and feathered? That ends up happening more often than not in the South if they find out you were sympathetic to abolition. God damn it! Uh, in fact, there's a lot of people who the, they will just say, "Hey, I think slavery is bad." In conversation, and then tar and then, feathers. Tar feathers. There's one Which, dude, by the way, tarring a person alone is just you will a die. nightmare. You will die. Like It is a death sentence. There is one story, at least in one of the books I read, of somebody who like was literally, the town was like, they had the rope, or they tar feather, have rope around neck and do that tree. And they're like, well, you can leave town if, if you want. Like, you don't. Should we continue? Or do you want to leave town? So he leaves his pregnant wife because he's like, I, I would very much like to not die. Can he survive? I guess so, yeah. Cause, wow, because I assume tar, well, would, you, when you have that many first or well, like third degree burns, when there's no antibiotics. But you can you can have lighter tarring. Like there's there's like fucking. Oh, and they just pitch. tar your toesies? No, like you can you, you can have like boiling tar versus like, this is just fucking not, not Oh, like pine sap. Yeah, shit okay, like that. Okay, so it's like, or at least it's like, it's like they're giving you still a Brazilian, yeah, but, but they don't st- pull it off. But they're still boiling tar and covering you in it, but it's not necessarily maybe the As... ship of caustic tar. Like, well, no, but like if know. it's boiling, that I... would... Burn you if it's stuck to your you skin. Cool you haven't worked in enough kitchens, it sounds I'm, like I'm that. Not, I'm not a tarring and feathering expert or apologist. I just know. Sounds like we need to do some research. Yeah, we can have we a need whole... uh, an expert if uh, you'd like it. We're not streaming. Why do I keep doing that? <laughs> two two yeah. really important events that I l- I'd like to highlight before getting on the Emancipation Proclamation and ending the slavery half of the episode. Uh, first thing is an event called the Caning of Sumner. There's a guy, uh, a senator. Did he like it? No. Oh. Uh, his name was Sumner. His, his last name. I know that's his right. Uh, fierce abolitionist speaks out against it on the floor. Uh, another guy beats him into a coma with a cane because oh. he because they consider it unhonorable to even bring up abolishing slavery in the South. And so when uh, Sumner basically says this other dude's bill is bullshit. Uh, and people should be free. This other guy's like, his honor is taking umbrage with that, and I shall beat you with a cat. I don't know why he bounced there, but <laughs> pretend I can do accents. The guy who beat him ends up getting Kane sent to him for the rest of his life as a, like, thanks for telling it what Ford abolitionist. Wow. And, like, nobody stops him either on the floor. Like, like the people wow. that are against it are also like, well, he shouldn't have said something. Like, it was his fault for... That's and Sumner is one of those dudes that's in that position of like came from a state that had slavery and was like, cool. Now I have to own people to fight against to fight against slavery. Uh, Pat's just real mad, guys. Another, He's another real passionate. I am because this shit pisses me off as it should. Because uh, the other second important one before Civil War crap is 
Bloody Kansas, uh, Bloody Nebraska, sometimes Bloody Kansas, Nebraska. Basically, uh, the Bloody Senate. Kansaska. Yeah, basically, the the represent the, the elected officials are like Kansas and Nebraska will get to vote on whether they are free or slave states, which sends pro slavery radicals, which is a thing, to Nebraska and Kansas, and also sends radical abolitionists there. To vote against it, which leads to guerrilla warfare yep. between abolitionists and pro-slavery people. In the conflict, John Brown loses, I think, one, maybe two kids. Uh, and it is it is basically the Civil War before the Civil War. There's a bunch of instances of towns being uh, tarred and feathered. They end up holding, if I remember right, like three elections. And at one point, there's two democratically elected uh, uh, governments. So they have like a Senate and a House of Representatives and shit and another Senate and House of Representatives and governor. And they they go to fight. And the the other part is the president's like, they can sort that out. I I, it's it's better let people decide these things. I don't want to interfere. I don't want to. And this is really where meddling big government (laughs) the right comes from <laughs> listen let's just leave it up to state yeah yeah the 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 important the cool part of a thing that happens because i'm not going to qualify it john brown's kids dying uh in this event uh, it's pretty easy to argue at least the thing that radicalizes him from we should maybe make war in virginia and let's continue to strategize and find a good plan to fuck it virginia burns and like i mean i'll call that cool yeah yeah i mean mean, here i come well he'd been like talked out of it like he was super into his raid uh on like a military base to get weapons and shit and he was gonna start like a guerrilla attacks against plantations to free people and basically a lot of people are like your tactics could have worked because if you grab and slave a handful of people run away, find a place to hide, train them to be... Then you have more army. Yeah, what John Brown wanted to do was like, no, we'll free them, and they will immediately be ready to fight at the next plantation where we would do the next thing. Oh, that's not how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But John Brown don't believe that. Uh, today's not about John Brown as 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 much as. <laughs> but are we going to get into the part right before his planning his raid where he's gathering allies and Harriet Tubman is there? That will be in the episode, yeah. All right, because cool. there is a there is a cool Marvel's Avenger moment where yeah. like there is a very strong possibility you get like Doug or, 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 or Frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman, and John Brown in the same building under the same roof at one moment in history, and like. Fuck yeah, that might that would that would be my time travel. Let's go back. Like let's go. I'd like to see that moment. Um, trying to gather allies. Yeah, uh, and and build up money, which will be a common yeah. thing. Brown's radical actions are definitely what terrify the South into thing. The South basically convinces itself from from uh, John Brown that there are more John Browns in waiting all over in like virginia or wherever and they're gonna come and that's part of why when lincoln gets office they're like we're out fuck it because they they they've got they've got obama and they've got uh john brown like i know lincoln isn't obama but it's very similar vibes Ah. Mm. Mm. lawyer from chicago we can we can we can we can have a conversation about their similarities as a lincoln douglas debater that's offensive Okay, while well, he's chewing, uh, while <laughs> when they were first back, going back when the United States was first forming, and the South was like slavery or like we're we're not joining this, and they're like, well, what if we move the capital from New York in the North to Maryland in the South? Oh, New York, because Washington. I mean, 
That makes that makes sense. I thought it was. Do I coast. know where Maryland is? It's in the south, relatively. It it's, is. it's like right in the middle, actually. Which, yeah. which will come up in Harriet Tubman's story because it's ju- it's the north of the south and it's the south of the north. Yeah. So it's like right by where Virginia is, if I remember right, like just north of it. Yeah. Pretty much okay. like. Maryland and Virginia touch each other. Had, that that is only, the South. Like the, the South, was, anything South of Pennsylvania essentially is the South. I just assumed it was because there was like so many Virginian presidents that they were like, "Oh, this is where we do it." Because I know. I mean, that might be part of it too, but they did. Like New York didn't participate in, or it cuts back its participation in the slave trade. But Wall Street is still a location that's like created exclusively to buy and sell enslaved people. That's where it begins at. Right. And actually, what's in and a massive wall that separated the uh, Dutch Quarter of New York from and from everybody else. An important thing about uh, uh, about actually that north south divide is when you are further north as an enslaved person, a common threat is that you will be sent south to worse conditions, and you're also further from freedom as that happens. Because, like, in theory, once you pass whatever the line is, I don't know, you're, you're not an enslaved person. After the Fugitive Slave Act gets enacted, you need to leave the country in order to be safe. And that's why there's so many, uh, you'll hear about so many uh, enslaved people or members of the Underground Railroad who go into Canada. And why Canada gets such a, it ends up becoming much like how Haiti has that portion of the island where enslaved people run away to. Canada becomes the option to a slave revolt. Because it's like, well... If they get in Canada, at least they're not killing us. So maybe we lose out, but we can keep enough people enslaved that we benefit. When bloody Kansas happens and Lincoln gets into office, basically the the southern states convince themselves that they're going to be forced to lose a system that nobody was going to force them to lose. One of the kind of common arguments that a lot of people who want to be sympathetic to the South will make is they'll be like, oh, the system was on its way out anyhow. But like, there's every indication that it it would be going on. It's just, it will always be cheaper to pay somebody, I won't kill you, than money. Like, yeah, that, that's just that's just the, the reality of it. So there's no incentive to get rid of the system. But they were convinced through a lot of paranoia. And like, the thing that always strikes my head, too, is, is with that, they thought they were doing the the correct thing is it's very much like abusive parents not not to for not, sure not, I heard a lot of corollaries yeah not <laughs> to pre- doing this because I love you yeah no well no that is a thing that is commonly said about enslaved people is, no you're I doing love them you. a fucking favor yeah that I'll, like that's the dude that I talked to in college we were doing black people a favor by owning them and part of that that thing I was talking earlier about you can be manumitted or or freed at a certain age. Well, part of the reason you 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 maintain elderly slaves is because you don't want them to out in the cold and alone and die. It's just it's just better if they're in your house. But every you can day. also squeeze more labor out of them in the process. What does that have to do with the fact that they would die without me? Oh, I, I'm sorry, I forgot that this was about you and not the person you own. Yeah, thank you very much. That was so fucking rude of me. How dare you? That was Why a scene didn't called, I center the appropriate person in this conversation? That was a scene called American History. All of it. A lot of the way a southern white woman could gain power was through ownership of other people. That was a form of property they were allowed to own. That's a, a form of labor control that they still have, and they can still make money by <laughs> renting out their enslaved people. And oftentimes when you're figuring out a dowry and bullshit, it's based on how many enslaved people your wife can bring into the relationship. 
again, going back to George Washington and being like, a bunch of these were hers. They're they're hers until she doesn't need help anymore. Listen, I'm just worried about her. The important person. Yeah, and I mentioned, I watched Till with my adopted mom the other night, and the actions that lead to Emmett Till's so, lynching. Yeah, are this is no a movie specifically about Emmett Till. I did not know that when you first brought it up, so oh. I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. It sounds traumatic, but. It was. Oof. It's worth watching, like, the late. It's weird because, like, you know exactly what's going to happen, and so it's much more about how they, how they do what you know they need to do. But Emmett Till's lynching goes all the way back to white women being able to say, I own this person, but I'm threatened by them, so I can't... Well, so it's the metaphor that our prison system would argue, is that we're keeping them in here to protect you. Yeah. And that's not what they're doing. They're keeping them there for a paycheck. For free labor, really. And I mean, don't get me wrong, there probably are people who need to be removed from general society, but I don't think we've done a very good job of figuring out who those people are. Because Elon Musk is still at large. And that conversation... Thank you. The, I don't even know what it says, but I'm assuming it's right. The way the right manages to be like, hey, we are the victims, and hey, we are the victorious simultaneously, has its roots in the ability to say, we own these enslaved people, in part because we're terrified of them that they might revolt against us. It's a similar victim and victimizer mindset that you can really only get when you are so oh, yeah. worst kind I of mean, person. it's like fascism. It's like how Jews are simultaneously the most dangerous population, yet also the parasite of all of us. It's like, how can Jews be a threat and also underneath your foot at all times? So really anybody Trump talks about. No, absolutely. I mean, I just think, I think in regards to anti-Semitism, because I feel like there are people who would say they're not racist, but then if you bring up Jewish people, they're like, oh, That's oh, you mean the ones who control the media? Yeah. Sorry. And it's not that I think they're separate, but I think it's like, for some people, there's straight up a schism where they can't connect anti-Semitism to racism. Like, or anti-Islamophobia, shit like that. They don't realize all no, of that no, under racist, the same irrelevant. But... I'm not a racist. Well, yeah, it's like that bit in uh, Austin Powers where he's like, I'm not racist, but the fucking Dutch. You know? <laughs> and, well, Which I get. If you asked a lot of these people, that a lot of enslavers, they would tell you they're not racist. They would tell you they're doing it for good, as we said, correct reasons. I'm keeping these people occupied. Idle hands are the devil's playpen. Yeah, And, and, and it's my duty as the superior race. One of the things in their bullshit race science magic stuff is that white people just can't do the labor. We're just, we're just not good at the labor. Our job is to do the thinking stuff. We do the thinking and the cleaning and the raping. You guys do the, the stuff. We just do we just do the three things we do that and also like I said though that 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 we're at a loss, i.e. they're gonna make us get rid of slavery. Uh, but at the same time, we're the most powerful because like we are an economic force. We are the master race who can control other people and make such great things. Like look at these plantation houses with entirely too many columns. And that's how you set up. Uh, they're not load bearing columns, Chris. No, but they're cool. That mindset of you are the victim, but you are also, like, the most powerful is what lets you be like, hey, we want to do a separate America, but equal. But I'm putting mom jokes there. But with that, you get the Civil War, right, which comes the Emancipation Proclamation. The the issue is just like when Washington is doing the Revolutionary War and won't take enslaved people, in part because he's financially incentivized not to take enslaved people or tell them they can be free uh, after the war. Lincoln does a similar thing where he's like, yeah, 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 no, we'll just figure out where to put them. We'll send them to Panama. 
That's one idea. Uh, we'll we'll maybe send them to Liberia or, or yeah, Liberia. Maybe, that was the yeah, created yeah. country for enslaved folks. Yeah. Or we'll figure out. We'll give them a state that's a little bit further west and more in hostile territory. Or or maybe if we do let some of them into the armed forces, we will extensively send them into the plains area that we're trying to conquer. So there'll be a strict racial conflict between uh, black people on horses representing the United States government and the Sioux people who will come to call them Buffalo soldiers. So the civil war, it happens for, for black people at the start of the civil war. It does not seem like it's going to be great for them on either side. There are numerous lynchings in the North that are finally racially motivated. Lynching before before the, the Civil War is oftentimes, it becomes more racially motivated as we get closer to the Civil War. But as the initial colonies did it, it was a thing to basically speak to power. To be like, because you don't always kill somebody, but you get them in the, you Wait, tar. Wait, is it simping? No, you tar and feather them and put them in the noose oh, and you're okay. like. Hey, do you want to keep being a dickish rich guy? Do you want to do you want to keep being the worst person in So town? it was actually to hold power accountable yeah. originally, and then, but then it became a way to just kill because, black people. Because once you privatize oh, Because once you Apparently. privatize the police force, they're not they're there to protect you, not be a part of this. And then once that happens, it becomes racially motivated mob crimes. Much like the first racially recorded lynching happens in New York because there's a draft of new Irish immigrants to America who are like, fuck it, we just got here, <laughs> or however Irish people sound. They drag a kid through the streets and worse, right? So, like, because they're like, we don't want to I mean, go... some f- kids deserve that, though. Fair. Not, not freed black kids. No, uh, probably yeah, not. Yeah. A lot of the North doesn't want to go to war Harriet disagrees. over enslavement. A lot of the South refuses to acknowledge that it's enslavement in the future at the time the big thing that the they don't anyone who's against the war in the south is either they're against war government blah 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 oftentimes though they're also like the the people declaring the war and starting shit are the people in power with all the money i'm one of that 30 percent that maybe rents and already thought slavery was a fucked up system that's much more likely to be your southern dissympathizer i guess and in the north, you're much more likely to be like, I don't want to go to war over black people. Like, yeah. Like, so, I could just do nothing instead. Yeah. And that seems easier for my life. Which is why when the Emancipation Proclamation does happen, it is not to free enslaved people. It is a tactical maneuver to basically say it, it, it's to let people, black people in the south know, at this point, if you leave from the south, we'll say you're free. Because you, it sounds like American imperialism, where it's like you're gonna be American, you just have to overthrow, and then actually we still want to control. Because slave states in the North that didn't secede got to keep slavery until right around the the end of the war. Like the other thing that's important about it is about the Emancipation Proclamation is that not only is it like a tactical maneuver, it's a way to mess with the South and make it a political maneuver on the global stage because congruitously in europe you're having a lot of new republics and you're having a lot of kingdoms that have at least parliamentary monarchies so you're having people who have already gotten rid of enslavement at least on their continent of europe people who are already pro-democracy pro-civil rights and you kind of want to slaughter all the native americans so you can take their land and you can't have two you can't embarrass yourself both ways so, like, by saying, hey, 
we've ended slavery, you also don't have to question your own imperialistic colonial march across the continent. Like, you're going to be like, ah. Well, yeah, manifest destiny. That's fine. And it's kind of a more, um, another tactical maneuver, too, because I believe, like, England was pretty invested in the, in the South Society because yeah. they were kind of mad at this new republic. So, in framing it as no, it's a political issue, it's specifically about slavery, and, and here's this document. It kind of, like, yeah. as you said, on a global stage, it looks bad for England to, su- to supply pretty a slave fucking states. embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Britain, yeah, Britain needed the cotton. Must be Hel- fucking awkward. The cotton, yeah. yeah, Britain needed the cotton hella bad because they're like the, the, the naval power, which you need rope for every part of a ship that's sails, yeah, sails, rope, yeah, <laughs> buckets. And you, you also have buckets. an industrialized nation that has a high demand for what will eventually become fashion. And so, like, American cotton is super important. What I do is fashion. (laughs) What I do is not fashion. Turn to the left. Turn to the right. Points. I'm sorry. I'm so glad. Before the Emancipation Proclamation, when the North does engage with the South and find enslaved people, they are called contraband when they are free because it's property that the U.S. government has reclaimed as far as they are concerned. There ends up being a number of contraband camps and contraband colonies. Say that a couple of times fast. Contraband camps, contraband colonies. Yeah, you fucked it up bad. But these sites become uh, uh, the focus of violence during and after the war, as they are groups of black people, and everyone blames them for the war, essentially. So if you end up setting a contraband camp in the South, you're likely to be visited by the terrorist group that will eventually be known as the KKK. But the FBI is like, are they a terrorist organization? I don't know. They're just like, yeah, they are. And they just they, they just have fun outfits. They just have really fun outfits. Well, we already talked about how Juneteenth was kind of showed how the Emancipation Proclamation wasn't very effective. Because you literally have to send the army into some places to enforce it. And to let them know that it even happened. Yeah, places that were like Texas wasn't really, my understanding wasn't really much of a stage for the Civil War, but you still have to send the army out there because they're like, nah, we'll just. We'll just do a slavery and not tell you guys. We'll just Fucking do a, Texas. We'll just do an apprenticeship. And then afterwards, it's not like the systems you have set up are any better. You get the sharecropping system, which is, I own this parcel of land. You can rent it from me, so, so I get money from you that way. And then you have to sell me back some of what you, you crop, so I get some of it that way. And also, I'm in charge of counting the crop, and like it turns out you're short, and now you owe me a hundred bucks. In addition to rent, oh. plus you know, the tools I gave you, plus I was charging you, so so not that much different. You actually? Oh, you didn't me. hear about the service fee? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry they didn't tell you about the service fee. Or because of the way the Emancipation Proclamation is written, or what ends up becoming the amendments for it, basically, if you're a imprisoned person, there's no limits on how much labor we can get out of you. And in cases of like, I think it's Louisiana. Apocryphal, but as soon as the Fusion Party, which is like this black-white super radical group of of black and white people who want early civil rights, they didn't call it then, but eventually it would be civil rights. Anyway, once they're kicked out of Louisiana, enslavement basically comes back in through the prison system to the point where like yeah. prisoners are cleaning the the fucking whatever their White House is, whatever the state capital is, yes. and other places, and you. You, it Are we becomes, just talking about Shawshank Redemption? A little bit. Oh, okay. That's definitely related. Got it. We, 
we already have our episode about how the South won, and at least in my opinion, the Civil War. They might have lost all the battles, but Jim Crow really kind of only comes about when you're like, we'll do a we'll do a subtle win. We'll we'll yeah. say we lost, but we're still going to write the rules, which is you winning functionally. But it's important to note that, like, yeah, so there's there's KKK and terrorism in the South post slavery, right? In the North... Obviously, because they're still there. Yeah. In the North, you get, like I said, similar groups that aren't organized the same way. They might just be the Neighborhood Vigilance Committee. It might be the city's local mafia ends up taking uh, taking an interest in making your life miserable. In the Pacific Northwest, we oftentimes just make sure you don't get to move here. <laughs> uh, yeah, laws written into yeah. the titles of houses. Laws written into the state constitutions. Like. There, there's a complex argument and conversation to have that's maybe is really not ours about the difference between fair and equal, or freedom and fairness, right? Because giving somebody freedom doesn't deal with the trauma of bondage, doesn't deal with the trauma that gets inflicted on you from a person beating you. We mentioned how it reminds reminds both of us of being raised by an abusive parent. If you don't get help for that, you pass that on. And like if everybody knows your trauma, the rest of the world treats you differently. There's a huge amount of tension between the Asian community and the black community, specifically because of a lot of our exported racism. And then we were like, Chinese people, you can be American if you hate black people. Same way we did the Irish people. Like, like they're, they're, All of that has its roots back into slavery. Uh, an important conversation and distinction to keep in mind for people is the difference between uh, equal and equitable. And that's, 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 that's also a super important conversation for reparation. A lot of people would assume, like, like a lot of other poor white trash people are like, we shouldn't do reparations for black people because it won't, like, that's not fair. But at the same time, all of this shit happened, right? Right. Well, I was going to end on pointing out like the, the, the importance of these people thinking what they are doing is correct. It's the same way a, a dad who hits you thinks that's the correct thing to do. It doesn't matter if he thinks it is morally good or bad. It doesn't matter if he thinks it is legally right or wrong. If he thinks it's correct... Oh, it's like how my mom thinks Janet Jackson is the one to blame for the Super Bowl halftime show. Wow. Like... Janet did nothing wrong. But, but, but like, think about it that way. It's like how a majority of our culture still thinks someone ripping something off of her breast is her fault. And us seeing the thing that feeds babies is a bad thing. It's somehow traumatic. So it's like I, it, like, I know a lot of us in modern society can't wrap our head around someone thinking that's correct. But just think about the things that people still think that are super fucking backwards and have no logic behind them. And that is that's why it's important for us as individuals and, and friendship groups and whatnot to have these conversations and understand these things. Because we're able to look at the context and be like, Oh yeah, this this maybe we should give black people some reparations. Maybe maybe some something is owed from there. Like like you don't get a Boston without black people. Like you, well, just, and I, you just don't. And to add to that, I think it's fair for us as white populations to specifically not know what that reparations necessarily means and look to black communities to tell us what that should look like. Because for us, we're still wrestling with our white guilt and the fact that our ancestors were partners to this shit that happened, and so we're not going to really know how to figure out how to help people because we're still dealing with the trauma of knowing that we were part of it. One of the things that blew my mind in Pedagogy of the Oppressed is the, is the conversation about 
the oppressor can't unoppress you. Like, like that's not they they. It's weird. They aren't going to understand how to do it, and they don't have that power in that situation. Oddly, the only thing they can do is say, "I'm going to step back from oppression," and we figure it out. Various ideas to figure out dialectically to be like, "Look, I know what I am doing is bad and wrong, and I can't be the party to decide how to de-escalate and change it. That has to be on you, the oppressed, but it also has to be the oppressed decision. Because if I'm like." You, my enslaved person, are free. I'll stop by. That's that doesn't heal your trauma. It doesn't account for my role in it. It doesn't account for the trauma I've inflicted on myself, even if I don't understand it. Because if I think things are correct, but they're morally wrong and they're just not right, that's gonna fuck with me in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, and viewing someone as not a person dehumanizes you, yeah, and traumatizes you, and it teaches the people around you that thing because another reason why it's important to talk about white women's ownership of enslaved people and their role in that you you do the thing you just said well i mean as white uh, as a white woman initially i learned that i needed to center my emotional needs in any conversation but as i've learned what an ally means it means using my ability to help center other people in the conversation but as an oppressor, it's really hard to not get how to decenter yourself because you've never had someone tell you it's not all about you. Yeah, and that's why it's important for as white people to have this conversation. And not make it the labor of other folks directly affected. Well, I didn't get into it as much. It's also, like, fucking rude is kind of the way I've always thought about it to be like, hey, can you can you do all of this stuff for me? I, I would like to can talk about... Can you tell about- me about your historical trauma? Yeah. Thanks. Because there, there are instances in a lot of this, like in reading Harriet Tubman's biography, for example, there's a dude who talks about how, like, you have to beat slaves, because if you don't beat them, then they don't do what you say, and then the whole system's broken. He, the, the way he expresses it is with the same simplicity that I would be like, well, you get on the bus to go to the place that the buses take you, right? Like, right. Because, again, the, he just thinks it's correct. Correct. And well, yeah, like, you make sure people can't pay back their credit cards because you make more money on them being in debt than then being a healthy credit user. There's a, a literary device called the death of the author. The example I, kn- I heard it most famous with, I think, is Lindsay Ellis talking about Harry Potter. But the constructive theory literary... That's J.K. Rowling, in case you were wondering. And Harry Tubman, Harry Potter, same person. Just like Harry Tubman. Just like Harry Tubman. Just like Harry Potter, yeah. you yeah, know? Which loops it all together. So inseparable using the the theory the death of the author <laughs> literary theory is you explore a work on its own without the context of the person who created it or the world at large so you look at harry potter as an object all by itself and you can extract whatever you want from that however that's not a full picture exactly. and that doesn't really enlighten you to the way she became famous how she kept growing and the historical ideology of where she was raised and how, she, and how she's weaponized that thing like the fact it. that the one one of the very prominent black ministry of magic characters his name is kingsley shacklebolt i'm laughing but i'm like i didn't you, you didn't know that part you're welcome good. I, I, I don't do names even in books. Like, I'm like, okay, this worry. is that person. A girl who is, like, coded as Scottish, but her ancestry is uh, Chinese. Her name is Cho, Cho Chang. Chang. I remember that part. Um, when Cursed Child came out of the play, and Hermione was cast as a black woman, and she, and she's like, oh, yeah, well, if you read, she's got really curly, frizzy hair. So I was actually coding her, and it says, like, and it's like the, did you, though? In the book, it did says, you? though, she had very pale skin. And like, yeah. When people yeah. look Who at pays? history... 
and they try to define the current age as post-racial, they are very much doing a death of the author to history. Yeah. Not doing death of the author to history is important. That's why we have these conversations. That's why we do this. That was that was the end of, of this of, of this page. Do you have any closing bits, I guess, for because is I'm done with Do you have any closing report. remarks, sir? So no still... about slavery. <laughs> it sucks, is I guess our answer. Is there is there any was there anything you guys didn't know that that I can't this time, or, or anything I didn't cover that you think it's important for people to know that you, you've heard or know? Because I'm uh, talking about the the institutional part of it when you're talk- or, you know, building the, the actual infrastructure to support this, and the plantations like in Mississippi where, like, specifically uh, it, even until turn of the century, there were people <laughs> living there and growing up there and specifically, like, Muddy Waters and, and, like, a lot of those early blue artists blues artists were kind of there in Mississippi, still living on plantations well past slavery was had ended. Because sharecropping goes on into the early 1900s, even after people figure out what a scam it is. If you're caught in a scam, you're never going to leave the scam. Well, I mean, it's always important to know that there's rich families who will, like, bring someone in and hold their passport. And just, like, that still happens There's a lot of really rich people. A rich person. I'm totally ownable. Uh, there's 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 a lot of instances. One of the most common instances of human trafficking is still you you pay for a person to come to America and they become your servant until they can pay back what you they owe you for helping them leave wherever they and you like you charge them rent too because you don't want someone to take advantage of and you know what they might as well take their meals at your place too. In fact, why don't you never leave the house? Like, you because know, America is a scary place. I'm really interested in thinking more, knowing more about the au pair the, oh, industry. The the other thing I wanted to point out is the other reason it's important to have conversations about slavery is it's fucking ongoing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nestle still uses slavery for chocolate. Most of the conditions as far as making our phones go. Odds are any given article of clothing we have was oh, made through enslaved absolutely. labor. If, if you have something that is fast fashion, meaning yeah. that it's really reasonably priced, and you just bought it like a store online that was almost definitely either done by slave labor or the modern equivalent, which is sweatshop labor. So, like, your sheen hauls, Shane, sheen, all of that kind of shit, no matter what you're buying, it is not being produced ethically unless you are paying a price that a rich person can afford. And that's my other, that was the other reason I wanted to have the car conversation I had is, well, well, people will be like, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And then like, that's the end of the statement. And I'm like, no, that's, that's the, that's the thesis statement. And then you need to have some fucking extra, like, like, I totally think if you presented most people with an alternative to cars, they would be on board. With the system. Yeah. What I think the phrase, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, does. It's a thought terminating cliche. Is is it just lets people stop essentially? Yeah. It should be more shorthand. It shouldn't be like like you're saying, thought terminating cliche. It should be like, oh, what do we do about that? Oh, okay, you you understand that too, so we can have a starting spot. Like, hey, you understand that under capitalism society, like, we are all built into the system that is controlling us to a certain degree you know what do we do how do we you know that's this that should be the starting point it's but it's getting people to that first point and then we we just throw it out you know we hear people just throw it out there because they're like well you know i'm you know i'm with you i get it you know i'll just say it all right it's like okay but what are you yeah i'm just saying all right now. Like, all right 
All right. I'm rad. I'm rad. I'm All right, rad. we want to stop recording this part of it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel pretty done here. That was a lot. I know. Congratulations, you made it to the end. Um, I'm sure I got some stuff historically inaccurate or, or, or anachronistic. I always do, but I still feel like this is a pretty, pretty succinct guide to the United States history of slavery. It is not the history of slavery. It's not even really the entire history of enslavement in the United States when you consider the prison industrial complex continues on until today. So th- this is at least enough that when I tell you the story of Harriet Tubman, I don't have to stop and explain what a slave breaker is. I don't have to stop and explain what it meant to send somebody to the south. Or down south, sorry. This is this was an intense episode. I want to thank everything and nothing again for coming on. We wanted to have this be an episode of white people talking to white people about slavery and trying to handle some of the burden and the baggage of it for ourselves instead of making it the responsibility of our black friends and family. I don't I don't know where I succeeded in that process, but I hope that that when you engage with the information in the future, this gives you something. Uh, don't forget to check out Everything and Nothing. January 9th, Kelly's Olympian. Uh, again, tickets are available through Eventbrite. Uh, and now, now, now we come to my favorite part, the credits, where I thank all of Recyclables executive producers. If you're like, hey, how do I become an executive producer? It's very simple. Subscribe to the Patreon. And then I read your name at the end of the episode. That's that's the whole deal. It doesn't matter how much you spend. You are still a patron. You're still a part of this process. And in fact, it doesn't matter if you can't spend anything because you're still helping us when you like, when you share, when you subscribe, especially when you share. The the more you tell other people about this, the more likely we are to get things like advertisers. So I I appreciate not just the listeners, but the the active listeners, the people who are like, hey, check out PTP's show. Rochelle and Everything and Nothing did this cool episode. I would do these episodes regardless like, like something would pop up every few months in this feed, even if I didn't have patrons. But having people there who have my back helps a lot. Someday this could be Rochelle's job. Someday Rochelle's job could be, I don't know. I, I have big dreams of the Patreon that someday will, that my whole role in the process of the Recyclables production will be uh, making my show so we can pay an editor and that sort of thing. Uh, but if you if you can't help, I don't want you to feel like it's your fault because, like, I'm poor too. I totally understand. If you can't become a patron, really the best thing to do is to like and subscribe and share. Tell other people about the show. The more people that listen, the more likely we are to get sponsorship in some form. Uh, honestly, I don't want sponsor interference with the show, but I, I do want to pay Rochelle, and I'd like to pay our guests in more than fruit snacks and Mountain Dew. Uh, okay, this time it was beer. This was a very heavy episode. Uh, and an acknowledgement of how heavy an episode this was, I want to thank our uh, executive producers. Ben Menard, thank you for being an executive producer. Sabrina Phillips, you've been a wonderful executive producer. Thank you. As has executive Executive producer. That's right. Edwin Shives. Uh, Stephanie Oxford. Also an executive producer. Wonderful person. Nova Starlust. 
becoming a supervillain, from what I understand. Executive producer, though, of Recyclables. Uh, also an executive producer, Rob Campbell. He helps produce the crap out of this. Andrea Miller, equally amazing. Maybe unparalleled executive producer, honestly. Kristen Rowan, incredible executive producer. Wonderful person. Almost on par with Linda Grimes. Let me say that right. Let me put a little shine on her name. Executive producer, Linda Grimes. Uh, also, recent guest of the show, but executive producer, Butterface Creations. Uh, another favorite executive producer of the show, Carrie Davis. Thank you for being an executive producer. Erica N., thank you. You're a wonderful woman. Thank you for all your help as an executive producer. Ash Alexander, you're a wonderful them, I think. I've never actually asked. Either way, Ash, wonderful executive producer. Thank you so much. Last but not least in the list of executive producers, thank you, Chella L., executive producer of this program. Uh, and listeners, thank you. I know, I know the patrons make this show possible, listeners make this show make sense otherwise it would just be me talking to myself and and technically i'm doing that right now but y you get what i mean all right that's been it's been part one uh i look forward to part two where we can talk about easily my favorite person in all of history harriet tubman until next time we'll see you that wasn't the button i wanted until next time Turn we've hired. We've been we've been like actually. Harriet dumb. is right there. Yeah. Well, she doesn't help. She doesn't help. She's free. She just talks about the ethno state a lot. <laughs> we gotta we gotta mute her all, all right. the time. Thank you for picking up recyclables today. Donations to the Acast streaming service are of course always welcomed, but the best way to support the show is by going to patreon.com forward slash recyclables and becoming a patron today. If you can't do that, another great way is by liking, subscribing, sharing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on whatever podcast listening service you use. All right, thanks.